Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I am a CPA, CFP professional, and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com, and you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org or on the WDIY app, as well as many streaming services for podcasts of prior shows as well. Today is November 1st, 2023. The markets were up today with the Dow closing at 33,274, the NASDAQ at 13,061, and the S&P at 4,237. Our topic tonight is making financial planning work for you. We are live tonight. We'll take your questions. Cindy and Bob are in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear me without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic and I will do my best to answer them. The phone number again is 610-758-8810, 610-758-8810. Email is also available at yourfinancialchoices.com. If you prefer not to speak live on air, just give your question to Cindy. She'll write it down and Bob will run it into the studio and I'll do my best to answer them. And again, making financial planning work for you. That's my topic tonight. And really, I'm just going to try to tell some stories uh, to illustrate what I'm talking about, Um, not necessarily, you know, a clear cut agenda. Um, I have discussed general, you know, financial planning many times on the show, um, always with the caveat that it is general education. What I want to stress this evening, though, is making sure that you understand the significance of making financial planning work for you and what that means. It really is about applying what we know to our personal situation, but also that there are maybe considerations that you don't know as well, meaning you can take some of this general education, you can apply it. Um, You know, we talk about a lot of topics every week. I'm hoping that it's really helpful for our listeners and that you're able to implement some of it or take that information that you learn and then expound upon that by doing your own uh, research or, um, you know, Uh, consultations with other professionals. But it really is, when I talk about financial planning, there's so many opportunities in financial planning, that in making some of these decisions, tweaking things, you're, you're setting yourself up for a better um, chance of meeting those goals that you have later in retirement. Uh, But specifically kind of honing in on how some of these financial planning strategies apply to your specific 
uh, situation. So I'm going to go through some examples. It does really require your personal engagement and understanding and understanding the elements of your financial life. Um, you can't you can't just, you, you really have to resist being afraid. You have to resist thinking someone else is going to take care of it. I, I often hear that from couples where there might be one uh, partner might be the financial person and the other one might be the non-financial person. You need to get comfortable with engaging enough that if anything were to happen, you're able to step in and manage your financial life because this is so, so important. It impacts us every minute of every day, our financial decisions. It's really about being proactive, not reactive. I have to tell you, I just ran from a client meeting and this is where I get really excited is where when the clients are, are coming forward and saying, you know, we have this happening, this happening, this happening, and we want to know what our options are. And we're looking at it before any decisions have been made. As I, as I try to stress, when we're proactive on these financial decisions, we have many more options than when you pull the trigger on something and then you come later and say, hey, I did this. Uh, oh, now I owe a bunch of taxes. What can I do now? Well, I might not have as many uh, options for you at that point. So being proactive and kind of understanding the lay of the land ahead of time makes such a difference. So sometimes we can do that with some of the general education we get. Um, sometimes we don't know what questions to ask. I think that can make a real difference then when you're working with professionals. Professionals see things over and over and over again, and we really get exposed to a lot of different financial situations, just like a doctor does when you go to the doctor and they've seen any number of maladies that they have to treat. Uh, car mechanics, you know, they see a car over and over. It might be a different car, but it could be similar situations. And you know, you might have had one car with one problem, but the mechanic has seen it, you know, a thousand times. Same thing happens in the financial world. So you really are leveraging the professionals, whether it's a CPA, financial advisor, attorney, you're really uh, insurance agent, you're really leveraging their experience and um, what, what sometimes comes down to even intuition sometimes. But again, it is always about applying it to your particular situation. So let's pull back a little bit and talk about where we need to pay attention. And that is what I always call the elements of your financial life, which is your cash flow, your taxes, investments, retirement accounts, retirement planning, risk management, which is insurance and estate planning. So that's kind of like, for me, always my agenda to kind of uh, look through when I'm doing particular annual reviews with, with clients. We also have to then overlay on that along with those things, you know, investment returns, obviously, resources of those cash flow, um, what kind of options one might have with various resources, unknowns that we might not know about what do we have to pay attention to, uh, time horizon, behaviors, we have, you know, behavioral finance now, we have to also understand 
our own behavior. And if you're working with a professional, that professional should understand your behavior. Are you someone who gets spooked if the markets go you know, wild? Are you someone who's going to blow through cash if cash is available to you? You have to really um, understand the specifics for your situation. Some of the things we would, you know, want to kind of watch out for or situations that we might have uh, could be, are we saving today? Are we waiting to save? Um, buying vacation homes, deciding about pension benefits. Do you need long-term care? Do we help our children? Um, tax situations, health insurance options, retiring, what's going to be that, you know, paycheck replacement, social security claiming strategies. I mean, the list goes on and on. So we can talk about, I thought tonight, maybe some little stories where I can demonstrate how making financial planning work for you can make such a difference and why it would benefit you to, to at least engage somewhat in being proactive with your own financial situations. Um, you know, uh, people who work with a financial advisor, Vanguard did a study, I can't quote it right now, but a Vanguard, I've quoted it on prior shows, Vanguard did a study where it does make a difference when you're working with a financial advisor. And sometimes I think that difference can be because of the uh, experience and what they've seen. It's not just about your investment returns. It's about all of those um you know, spokes in the wheel that impact your financial life, making sure those things are all working together. All right. So we will talk about some financial planning ideas, concepts that might be considered specific to you. So for example, I'll give you some little highlights about cash flow, which you know, what feeds cash flow typically in retirement might be pension options, social security, um, and give you some examples of how that can make such a difference in that decision that could be specific to you. Investments, you know, diversification, the geography of those investments, retirement planning, is it pre-tax, is it Roth? Um, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe don't have all of your investments in your retirement accounts taxes, the impact of that I think can be significant. Risk management, looking at family history and, you know, cash needs, kind of the coverage one might need, and estate planning. Folks, we're at our first break. If you have questions, tonight would be a great day to call in. Phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY members have exclusive access to our weekly member ticket giveaway. That's a new drawing every week for the best events the Lehigh Valley has to offer concerts, festivals, film screenings, theater performances, and more. Last year, WDIY gave away over 2,000 tickets to our members, so don't miss your chance. Become a WDIY member today. Call 610-694-8100, extension 4, or visit WDIY.org. 
Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1, also available on the WDIY app. For questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We are talking about making financial planning work for you. And I want to pull back just for a second before I get into some of these details. There is a financial plan that one may need, which could be a very comprehensive financial plan, a financial planning engagement with, um, you know, a certified financial planner professional. And a financial plan might be that big picture that one one might need. Um, quite often, it, it really is helpful to individuals who don't see it for themselves, where you can get a detailed um, cash flow, net worth, and income tax projection for, you know, 20, 30 years, and you kind of have it all laid out ahead of you. And it, it reflects, um, you know, is your money going to last? And some of those plans can be very sophisticated and some can be, you know, what I almost call back of the napkin, that it's like a little calculator that one can run. Um, so that is kind of a financial planning broad overview. Some of the scenarios I'm giving you tonight are snippets of that, little specific snippets one might not have had to have a financial plan or they might have had a financial plan some time ago. And now there's little decisions as we go along the road of our financial life where you don't necessarily have to have a financial plan to 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 necessarily make some of these decisions. But again, always very important to be in front of the decisions, understanding your options. I want to give you some examples. So here's the story. A client calls in, she's in her later years, and um, meaning 80s, early 80s, and has reasonable amount of resources available to her and has decided she wants to do some gifting while she's alive. Why wait until she passes away? She knows she's not going to use all of the money that she has and she has other cash flow. She indicated she didn't want to use her current required minimum distributions or her social security that she has as part of that gifting because she has in essence budgeted for those cash flows. So she really wanted to pull it from the portfolio. She has various accounts. She has some IRA accounts, Roth and um, regular, you know, individual account. Where is she going to pull the money for the gifting? Now, this year, the gifting wasn't significant, but it was $20,000. So $10,000 to each of her children. Very nice. She went ahead and looked at her financial situation prior to calling and said, Hey, Lori, um, did I say 10,000 each? 20,000 each, $40,000 folks. I, I misspoke $20,000 to each couple. Okay. So child is married. Um, both children are married. So 20,000, we can gift without any gift tax filing or reporting by anybody. Um, $17,000 a year. That's the annual exemption to uh, avoid having to file a gift tax return. Okay, so $34,000 to the couple. But mom's only going to do, uh, not only, it's still nice, 20000 to each. So a total of 40000 She looked at one of her IRA accounts. It was just a little bit over $40,000. She had a number of IRAs, but one in particular was a little over 40000 She said, let's, let's close that out. Um, you know, make things easier, close that out. And um, I want to gift them the money. 
Well, thankfully, she called first and, you know, let's talk it through. Because if I put $40,000 on her income tax return, a number of things happen. One, she has more exposure for taxable Social Security and also has exposure to an income-related monthly adjustment amount uh, adjustment on her Medicare premiums, which would hit her in 2025. Um, so if we put this extra money on her return, she has more taxable income, she has exposure to higher Medicare premiums, and she also um, also had more income that where previously her qualified dividends and capital gains were qualifying for a zero tax rate because she was at a 12% tax bracket. Um, we're qualifying for a zero income tax rate. Now that was getting exposed to a 15% tax bracket on the capital gains and capital gain um, qualified dividends. And we had more social security taxable. So it's kind of, um, you know, it is a circular calculation. The more income we put on our return, the more social security gets included up to 85%. And so luckily we were able to talk it through and run like little scenarios to see what this looked like and then look for an opportunity of where else might we be able to find $40,000. And in her individual account, there were opportunities to raise that $40,000 with no tax consequence. So that is one of those items where we talk about being proactive, not reactive, and where are the options, you know, coming from, where we can pull money? Does it make sense? So number one, we can say, does it make sense for her to do the gifting? I've seen where we have people who gift, 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 gift to their children and end up hurting themselves or their spouse who may be a surviving spouse at some point, um, hurting their cash flow in their future um, elderly years because they gifted so much, you know, when when they were younger to their uh, children. So you have to think through number one, gifting scenario. Do we have the adequate resources to afford the gifting? Um, How should we gift? Does it make sense? What do we gift? When do we gift? Are we within those annual gift amounts? So there there's so many layers to what seemed like a very simple, oh, I have this money, I can afford it, let's throw 40,000 out of the IRA. Very, very different results, if we hadn't thought that through um, the way we had. So that ended up being a much better situation. But that's where we talk about specific to your make financial planning uh, work for you. You have to, number one, be aware and um, uh, in front of those decisions and ask for the help from the professionals that you have engaged to help you. And if you're doing it on your own, make sure that you're not being reactive Uh, you know, you can do some of these things on your own, but you want to be smart. I always worry about the questions that you don't know to ask. Um, I'll give you another scenario. A client earlier today, we were talking about being proactive, not reactive. And they came with um, a number of scenarios that they're faced with right now, number of considerations, kind of a, a confluence of events that is occurring with so many different pieces and moving parts that it, it's really critical to be in front of those decisions. And, and I love when we're in front of them because we do have so many more options. One of the questions was there is a rental property and 
do we sell the rental property to, you know, aid in cash flow and further investment, et cetera, even though we might have a lot of taxes. And they were aware, which is wonderful when when we have um, people who are aware of um, other tax saving strategies. So there is a tax saving strategy when you own investment property called a 1031 exchange that's still available where you can um, exchange property that you have currently that's held for investment into another property that's like that, like kind. And the IRS doesn't deem it as a as an actual sale. They It's almost like a swap. We call it a like kind exchange. There are a lot of rules around this. So we, we can't have people just saying, oh, I'm going to do this. And then they do it without thinking it through because there are a number of steps that have to be taken. So very astutely, these people are aware of this. They may not understand all of the little rules, but enough of the rules to know that we need to be in front of it. We need to ask about it. We have to do it the right way. You have to have a qualified intermediary. You have to identify the new property within a certain amount of days. Uh, You have to make sure, are you exchanging for a higher amount, the same amount, less amount? What's the consequence of that? So a lot of pieces. So we, we can have a good strategy, but if we don't understand how to see it through the right way, we may have, um, you know, tainted it and it might not have worked. So and then you have to understand what the new property would be used for. Um, you know, people sometimes think, oh, I can now just use it personally like my my vacation home. Well, it doesn't work like that. So you have to be really careful, be in front of these decisions makes a big difference. But again, being proactive um, and kind of knowing what questions to ask. But if you don't know what questions to ask, if you have a complicated situation, say, huh, is it time for me to get a professional? Uh, folks, we're at the second break. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY presents a selection of award-winning public affairs programs weeknights from 6 to 7 p.m. Listen to important conversations regarding art, science, politics, and more here in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Check our website for new topics and archive programs. WDIY Public Affairs on 88.1 FM, streaming at WDIY.org, on the app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. If you have questions this evening, the phone number is 610-758-8810, and you can talk live on air with me, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Cindy, and she'll write it down. Again, 610-758-8810. Questions can also be submitted through yourfinancialchoices.com. I'm going to give you a couple more examples of cash flow when we're talking about making financial planning work for you um, so that I can move on to some of the other examples in the other areas and the other financial elements. Um, And this one I'm going to kind of combine a little bit because there's some similar considerations. When we think about choosing as, as part of cash flow when we go to retire, when do I take Social Security or what are pension options? 
So pensions are, for the most part, going by the wayside. We still have a number of clients who do have pensions, which is great. A pension is a defined benefit. You, the uh, employer will pay you a dollar amount per month when you retire, um, you know, meeting certain criteria, et cetera. But often there are some pension options that you will have that you can choose from. And it really is important to do some analysis on that because a pension can pay perhaps a lump sum. Not all of them offer that, but some do, meaning you can take the money out of the pension, forego that monthly defined benefit payment, take the lump sum and roll it over into an IRA and manage it yourself and manage the cash flow from that yourself. That's pension. In addition to that, you might have a pension option of do I take it over just my life expectancy if I'm taking the monthly amount or do I provide a benefit for my surviving spouse and that benefit for my surviving spouse or partner could be 100%, meaning whatever I got, they get, or 50%, whatever I got, they get half or some type of term certain. So lots and lots of pension options uh, for survivors. Then, and so put that on the, the shelf for now. Now we look at Social Security. Social Security has uh, claiming options as well. One could claim as early as 62, barring any disability um, or low, you know, I'll just say disability for now. Um, so you can have Social Security that you could claim as early as 62. But then you have different claiming strategies. You could wait till what's called the full retirement age, which varies depending on when you were born. So people born, I think, 1960 or later, it's age 67 is your full retirement age. And defer even to age 70, where you uh, reap the reward of an 8% increase per year through age 70. So... Uh, number of claiming strategies, what you have to be aware of for Social Security is if you're continuing to work, the person who's claiming, meaning you can have a spouse who's still working and claim on your own record if you meet the age requirement. Um, but if you're working, you prior to full retirement age, you may have to pay some of it back. So it may not make sense to collect if you have to pay it all back if you're making a lot of money. But maybe you're only working part time and you are below a certain threshold. It's like, I don't know, 19,000 something, maybe might even be 20 now. If you're making below that, you still could collect pre full retirement age on Social Security and not have to pay it back. But once you go over those dollars, you have to start paying back a dollar for every $2 over. If it's in the year of full retirement age, then you it's I think $1 for every $3 over um, in the year of full retirement age until you reach full retirement age. But once you're full retirement age, you can make as much money as you want and not have to pay back any social security. All right. So now let's talk about general financial planning. One might say you, you, you read things and people say, oh, take Social Security while you can get it. It might not be there in our future. So people will, you know, file as soon as they can. Uh, other people might say, hey, you know, people are living longer. Wait as long as you can. Wait till age 70 because you get the maximum benefit at age 70. If you rely on that, you could be shortchanging yourself. So when we talk about making financial planning work for you, we have to look under the hood a little bit. And this will sound 
like basic, like you, you think, well, gosh, everybody knows this, Lori, you would be surprised. Not everybody understands about looking under the hood and understanding how some of these decisions um, are impacted by your own circumstances. So if you are not in good health, then it might make sense to collect Social Security early. If you're not in good health and you've elected a, a single life pension option and where you're going to collect $2,000 a month and you're not in good health and you die the next month, then that might not have been the best decision to, to take the single life option. So the single life option would pay you the most monthly amount. But if you're not in good health, does that make sense? Maybe a lump sum option would have been better for you or the 100% survivor option might have been better for you. You have to look at your own circumstances. What's your life expectancy? What is your health? Uh, what about cash flow? If we're looking at a pension and we have someone who blows through all of their money and they have the option of taking a monthly amount or a lump sum, what would the fear be? If, if this person takes a lump sum and they've got this whole ball of cash and they don't understand how to manage money, they could blow through that whole lump sum. That might not have been a good option for them. Um, even though it could be a great option for, you know, 85% of the people taking a lump sum, depending on circumstances, this is general education. Um, but there is that group of people who would, who, who could blow through the money and maybe they would be better suited to have a monthly pension amount. Social security, the same thing. If we have someone who's in ill health, as I said, you might want to collect earlier. But if we have people who have longevity and they don't really need the money for cash flow, meaning they have other resources, that could be a good opportunity to defer to age 70, um, maxing the benefit and perhaps securing a higher benefit for a survivor as well, because a survivor steps into the higher of the two uh, benefits when we have you know, couples. So when we have couples electing social security, we have a lot more options. We can even leverage that, meaning one might do one claiming strategy and the other could be doing the deferral and you're kind of hedging. Uh, it all depends on circumstances. Again, individual life expectancy, one spouse, you know, might not have it in their family and the other spouse could have longevity. You might want to look at that or health. If, if we've had, you know, bouts of cancer, uh, diabetes, uh, stroke, heart attacks, if we have a family history of that and we're subject to that or exposed to that ourselves, maybe we want to think about what our climbing strategies would be. Folks, we are at the halfway point. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000.
Welcome back, folks. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. And we're talking about making financial planning work for you. We've just kind of covered a few stories that we would have with kind of cash flow and cash flow decisions. Um, Let me talk about investments for a minute. So I already mentioned Uh, moments ago about a 1031 exchange on like a real estate investment when one has a rental property. I don't see a lot of 1031 exchanges, this like kind exchange. Um, They are out there. I would say that probably serious, serious uh, real estate investors probably do this more often. Um, But you really do have to understand it and uh, make sure you follow all of the the very detailed rules on a 1031 exchange. So that could be an investment that also could be very specific to you. But even within our own, um, you know, financial investing, whether it's in retirement accounts or outside of retirement accounts, so I'm going to call that qualified money versus non-qualified That could be specific to you as well. Number one, you have to understand your own risk tolerance. It's best probably not to get investment advice from someone talking over the fence. I always imagine that uh, home improvement show, someone giving advice over the fence. Um, But but you you could take some of the, the general education that you may get as far as um, setting up things like set it and forget it. I mean, that's a general financial education um, option that I love. And that is really valuable to understand that if I go to work and someone tells me, oh, uh, contribute to your 401k at work and the employer doesn't match, that's great general education. And that can apply to a lot of people. Set it and forget it. It's the best, you know, one of the best ways to save. But when we talk about making financial planning specific to you and work for you, you also have to understand a few other things about investments. Number one, what is your risk tolerance? Number two, can you afford to to put money away into these retirement accounts? I'm all about that. But if you're sitting on $50,000 of debt, on a credit card with 25% interest rates, I'm not sure I'm going to have you maxing out a 401k contribution set and forget it. I want you to not forget about your credit card. So you do have to make sure that you're understanding your own situation. Um, All right. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. I have Sue on the line from Bethlehem. Hi, Sue. Can you hear me? Hello. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm sorry. I say that again. I'm, you're on the air. How can I help you? Oh, hi. Yes, I turned 70 this year. I have not started collecting my Social Security because I've been collecting on my husband's. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a cutoff age when that no longer benefits me. It, it's now, Sue. If you're 70 now, if your own benefit is higher, you should be switching to your own benefit. So you might have been under the, the term, is your husband still alive or were you collecting a widow's benefit? Um, he's still alive. Okay. So you were still under those years where you could collect um, a spousal benefit when your husband filed. Most people can't do that anymore. So you were collecting a spousal benefit on his record and you let your own record run and appreciate. 
Correct. So your own benefit at age 70 is going to be higher than your spousal benefit, I think is what you're saying. There is no further accrual on that. So once you hit 70, you're not earning anything extra really on it. So you should go file for your own benefit um, if it's higher. Okay. Okay. Um, Will will I get back pay since I waited to? Because it's been a few months since I've been seven. Yes, you can tell them they can go back. I think six months. So oh, wonderful. Yep, and you might you might be able to do it online if you set up an account on ssa.gov. It's called my SSA. Um, yes, you, I have one. You may be able to do it online. I'm not exactly sure. There's certain things they let you do online, and other ones you might have to do a phone call or a, or an in-person appointment. But you might be able to to um, personally, I probably would do a phone call because or go into an office because I would want to make sure that they're going to give you credit going back to age 70. I don't know how that would work online, but yes, they they should go back. They can usually go back six months. Okay, okay. excellent. All right, good okay. job. Thank you for calling. Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Bye-bye. Right. Okay. Bye. Another great example um, of, you know, understanding options because there, are, there were certain claiming strategies that were available to people. I think it was born 1954. Um, and before where you could file a restricted application on your spouse. So your spouse had to have filed for social security and then you could file for your spousal benefit on that and, uh, restrict your own benefit, meaning let your own benefit run. So it sounds like Sue might have done that, but then once you reach age 70, so she let hers accrue at the higher rate and then she could um, switch back to her own record. The only kind of real, um, typically what happens nowadays is that option is no longer available. And if a spouse goes to file for Social Security and you're in a couple, then if both are filing, Social Security is going to pay the higher of your own benefit or the spousal benefit. It'll it'll pick one or the other. You don't really get to choose. But if I, if my husband has not filed and I go to file, then I'm only can file on my own record. And once my husband files, if my spousal benefit is higher than my own record, at that time, I would switch to the spousal benefit. So social security generally helps someone kind of navigate that and figure it out. But if you file early, before full retirement age, you do take a haircut on your benefit, and it's it's a permanent haircut. Um, one other note, when we talk about making financial planning work for you and specific to your own situation and what do we not know, some people might not be aware of this. If you filed early, let's pretend you filed at age 62, you were, you know, lost your job, you're short on cash, so you filed at 62 and you're getting a monthly benefit and you needed the cash at that time. And now your full retirement age, uh, let's pretend your full retirement age is 66. I'm gonna make that up. And maybe you don't need the money anymore. Maybe you got some big inheritance and you really didn't need it. Now you're getting this social security and you're paying tax on it maybe, and, and you don't need it. You actually can suspend. It's one of the times that you can suspend and you could suspend it to age 70. Um, so that's once you reach full retirement age. Social Security doesn't let you change your mind uh, very easily. There are, 
are a couple times where you can. But um, that's something that I think most people aren't aware of, that at full retirement age, if you had already filed and collected, you can suspend it and let it grow again, um, you know, through age 70, if, if you really don't need the money and you have longevity and you don't, you know, and you want it to grow a little bit more, you certainly could do that. There's always conversation and debate about how long Social Security is going to be around and, um, you know, is it worth it? And what's the break even? And what if I take this money and invest it? You know, it, it's all again, back to your specific situation. I have, I have clients that if they're in the top tax bracket and they don't need the money, if I'm going to take Social Security for them at that point and they're paying, you know, it's included in taxable income at 85%, maybe that doesn't make sense. If we let it grow a little bit longer and then everyone's retired and now we have no money on our tax return, we could end up getting tax-free Social Security. So certain circumstances as they apply to you, really, really important. It's, it's the fun part of financial planning and making sure all these pieces work together. So when I talked about um, investments and making sure things work for you, I had said, you know, a 401k, set it and forget it, great way to save. Also pay attention to your own risk tolerance. And when we're looking at risk tolerance, um, it's typically, you know, how are we allocated with equities and bonds? But I like to remind people that it's more than just equities and bonds. It's what kind of equities? Do you have all your money in you know, some high tech company, well, that's not really diversification. So really, really important to make financial planning work for you is to understand it's not just about an allocation of equities to bonds. It's what kind of equities, um, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international value funds, dividend payers, that type of thing. Um, and where do you have those investments? If we have IRAs that are growing at ordinary income tax rates and we have money outside of a retirement account, as I mentioned, we're going to call that a non-qualified account. If on that non-qualified account, I can get tax-favored income on that with qualified dividends or capital gains, that is at lower tax rates. Um, no matter what tax bracket I'm in, it's going to be lower than what ordinary income tax brackets are. Um then I might want to think about the geography of where I'm putting those assets. We always want you to have cash for your emergency reserves. We always want you to have cash for those immediate needs you may have in the next year or so. So obviously cash, we you know, put it somewhere where maybe you could get a little bit of return, which is you know, more easily available today than it was a few years ago. So make even that cash work for you. But for the most part, um, try to take advantage of the tax favored treatment. And and again, about making uh, planning work for you, I have seen situations where people have retired and all of their investments are in their retirement accounts. And when you go to pull money out of a retirement account, that's other than like a Roth, then it's all ordinary income. I really like options. I like diversification and diversification of where you can pull that money. Remember the story I had earlier at the top of the show where I talked about the client who wanted to gifting and she wanted to take the money out of the IRA, which would have set off a whole slew of events with um, making more Social Security taxable, higher tax rates and higher Medicare premiums. Instead of that, we were able to pull money out of an individual account she had lots more planning options when you have a diversification, not just in your 
equities and bonds, but a diversification in your asset type, the type of account. Is it a Roth? Is it an individual account? Is it a um, an IRA or a 401k. Even IRAs and 401ks have different distribution options. So again, making planning work for you, sometimes people will think they can uh, borrow from their IRA or you know, randomly borrow from their 401k. Maybe they left it at the employer and they think, oh, I want to buy a vacation home. I'm going to borrow money from my 401k. If you don't work there anymore, you're not going to be able to borrow because there's no way you can pay it back from like payroll deduction. That's how they have you pay those loans back. So different rules apply to the different kinds of investments you have. So be aware of non-qualified accounts, um, 401k type of accounts, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, they have some different attributes as well. Same thing with Roth conversion. So you can have a Roth IRA, traditional kind of Roth IRA, a Roth conversion, or uh, a Roth 401k. All have different implications. Uh, Even when we talk about uh, making planning work for you, when we have people who are charitably inclined, if you're age 70 and a half or older, you can make a distribution from your IRA to a nonprofit subject to caps and not pay income tax on that. But you can't do that from your 401k. So this is where I go to, you know, knowing what questions to ask. You you get general information, general education. You listen to the show. I love it. I love that you're all so smart. Um, but you have to be careful of what you do know because you might think, oh, Lori talks about QCDs all the time, qualified charitable distributions. Well, you can take those from an IRA, but you can't take them from a 401k. All right. So you want to be careful. In fact, we had one client who called, told us after the fact, oh, yeah, I took the money out of the IRA. I put it in my my bank account and I wrote checks. Well, that doesn't work either. They thought they were smart. They thought they're doing, uh, you know, charitable giving out of their IRA. Well, it has to come directly out of the IRA. The custodian has to write the check to the charity. You can deliver it, of course, but they have to write the check. So you just have to make sure. Remember, proactive, more options and avoid pitfalls. Uh, Folks, if you have questions, phone number 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. Also on the WDIY app, questions can be submitted on yourfinancialchoices.com or by calling during the show at 610-758-8810. And you can talk live on air or off air, whatever you're more comfortable. We're just talking about some stories tonight, making financial planning work for you. Um, For those who are listening 
kind of try to identify some area in in those financial elements I mentioned. Try to sit back just for fun, you know, between commercials and think about one of those areas of your financial life and try to follow the threads of a decision that you may have to make and and ask yourself, have I thought of everything? What are my options? Is there something I'm missing? Is there something I might have not realized? Um, uh, one area that I think um, doesn't get enough attention is estate planning. Uh, half the people, I think, and again, I'm not quoting any particular statistics, more just general information as we know it is, about half the people don't have estate documents. Um, typically, you know, an, a will, a power of attorney, health care directives, and a living will really important documents to have. Some people will think you need a trust because your cousin, brothers, sister, <laughs> nephew said, oh, you should have a trust. Everyone needs a trust. Well, there are situations where one might need a trust and situations where you may not need a trust at all. And that would be really important to make sure that you're talking with your um, attorney, whether or not you need a trust. Certainly there are circumstances where trust could be really powerful today. Um, in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about blended families. I think that is really an area where you could really benefit from having a trust to make sure that um, assets get dispersed the way that you intended. But estate planning can be confusing. I can't tell you how many people still think they're subject to a federal estate tax. Well, the federal estate exemption is $12.9 million each. And even with the sunset of the estate exemption in 2026, with inflation, I'm expecting it to be, let's say, $6.5 million each. So now if you're talking for a couple, $13 million, you'd have to have more than that in assets before the um, taxes would apply. So you really have to understand how those circumstances apply to you. Now, Bob just brought in to me a question from Bob at Allentown. Non-qualified account getting 5% interest, 100000 which is $5,000 a year. How can he make this not show up on income tax? Well... If we have a non-qualified account and we're getting 5% interest, which is what a lot of, you know, money markets are, are earning these days. So 5% on like an individual or joint account would be $5,000 of interest income. That is ordinary income. And ordinary income gets taxed at ordinary income tax rates. If you had 100000 invested in the market and maybe you were getting dividends of 2%, that would be $2,000 of dividends. And you would pay, uh, if they're qualified dividends, they qualify for a lower tax rate. If you're in a 12% bracket or lower, it's zero. Um, if you're in a higher bracket, it's 15%. If you're in the top tax bracket, it's 20%. Whereas... The, the ordinary income interest is going to get taxed at whatever ordinary rate. So if you're in a 12% bracket, you're going to pay 12% tax on that $5,000. So that's the first thing. It's going to show up and it's reportable if it's just like money market or CD interest. It's when that gets paid, gets reported on a 1099 and report it. So how can you make it not show up on your income tax? Um, well, you know, there's things like... Uh, 
the I bonds, which were inf inflation adjusted bonds, they're not paying as well as they were a couple of years ago when we were getting like 9.62 or something annualized rate. Um, things like savings bonds don't um, you don't report the interest until you redeem them. So that's one way to defer taxes on that. Um, you might also get a, a, a treasury note, which would pay, let's say, in one year. It might not pay this year. It could pay out next year, but it's basically when it gets paid. Uh, so I think it is going to show up. But one thing you could think about when we talk about asset geography, and this goes back to where I was saying if IRAs are ordinary income and non-qualified accounts, if you have equities, could um, have a tax-favored treatment, when we look at the geography, we might want to put the interest-bearing kind of investments in the IRA because that's ordinary income anyway. So that wouldn't show up on your tax return. So if you look at the geography, we skew the fixed income portfolio. And usually we're, there's still some equity exposure. I'm not saying it's all fixed income in retirement accounts and you know, equities in non-retirement accounts. There's usually some kind of mixture there. But if I had to skew it uh, one way or another, depending on one's risk tolerance, if you're super aggressive, you may have no fixed income. But if you're, if you're you know, more of a moderate and you're like 60% equities and 40% fixed income, you might look at the geography of the investments within those retirement accounts and skew that a little bit to the fixed income so that if you're getting 5%, then that would not show up on the tax return until you take distributions from the uh, IRA or 401k, if that makes sense. Um, but if you earn it, you report it. Now, you know, a municipal bond fund that wouldn't show up on a federal tax return. That is one way you can have tax-free income for federal purposes is if you went into a municipal uh, fund or a municipal bond. Um, for state purposes, it depends on the origin of the municipality. So if you're buying a PA, you know, muni bond, then that's not going to be subject to Pennsylvania income tax. But if I'm a resident of Pennsylvania and I buy a California bond, while it's a municipal bond and not subject to federal taxes, it would be included for Pennsylvania taxes because PA only has, um, you know, PA munis, Guam, Puerto Rico, that kind of thing that's tax exempt for state purposes. So I hope that helped. How do you not show it up on your tax return? Munis or have that kind of ordinary income producing asset in your retirement account. When we look on the equity side, if we don't want to have tax consequences on the equity side, remember I said we could take that 100000 if we invested it, and let's say we got a dividend of 2%, I said the 2000 would be reportable dividends, subject to lower tax rates. But when we're looking at equities, we're looking at not just the income, like the coupon that you get on a bond or a you know treasury, we're looking at um, total return. So we're looking at appreciation, hopefully, over time on our equity side. But that appreciation only really gets taxed when we sell. 
So that's another way to control the tax consequences with our investments. If we are going with growth, there might not be any dividend and we would only have capital gains if we sold it. So that's another way to keep that income off the return. Quite often what I'll, what I'll look at when we're looking to raise cash for a client is we might look at tax lot reporting and we would look for positions where we could, you know, raise cash that one might have a gain and one might have a loss and you can kind of mitigate the tax consequences uh, more easily in non-qualified accounts than we could if we're having to pull from an IRA. If someone tells me they need $50,000 and they only have IRA money, well, we don't have a lot of decisions there. Uh, any gains or losses, it doesn't matter because within the IRA, it only matters when you take it out. You don't get the benefit of tax-favored uh, you know, dividends in an IRA. It all comes out as ordinary income. We get that tax favored treatment in the non uh, qualified accounts. All right. I hope that helps. That's a fun question. Um, all right. So making sure that financial, uh, financial planning works for you. It's about engagement. It's about not being afraid, um, making it a puzzle, making it a game, trying to learn a little bit at a time. Believe me, over my many years of working with people, I love educating, but um, what I have found is, you know, sometimes you only have a capacity to take in so much. So Pick something that you, you want to be more engaged in and understand and start there and just kind of build on it little by little. If you're working with professionals, you may not need to know all the ins and outs of the economy and the impact of GDP or, you know, the Fed or the Treasury making changes. You may not need to know all that if you're working with, you know, competent professionals. But what you might really want to um, be engaged with is what are your distribution options on your accounts? How are they affecting your tax return? Um, you know, there are situations where um, clients may want to take money out of retirement accounts, even though they don't need it. Their tax rates look low. It looks like we could do a conversion. That looks great. Um, you know, we heard it on the radio. You can do a conversion of an IRA to a Roth, and now I have a tax-free Roth account. Isn't that wonderful? Well, if you're collecting Social Security, now if I put more money on your tax return, it's a circular calculation. I might not be in be paying 12% on my conversion. I could end up paying 22% on my conversion, even if it looks like I'm in a lower tax bracket because I've, I've just caused more Social Security to be taxed. Or there could be a situation where maybe you don't need Social Security. You could forego it for a couple years, and that's our window to do some of those conversions when you have no other income on your return. That's a little bit easier to do when we have clients who have accumulated uh, assets outside of retirement accounts such that when they're retired and they no longer have a paycheck coming in, they have other resources besides their retirement accounts. They might have cash in the bank or they might have an investment account that we use to fund that cash flow. It, it, it minimizes the income on the tax return, which opens the door for doing things like conversions. So again, making financial planning work for you, you have to understand your own financial situation, what applies to you, what doesn't apply to you, what kind of um, assumptions you're going to use in your planning, and uh, be aware of 
um, what questions do I not know to ask? What might I not be aware of? Is there something out there that uh, could work better for me um, than something else? I, I often get the question about annuities. You know, I try to tell folks annuities retain their tax characteristics. So if you invest in a non-qualified annuity, it's great because it's tax deferral, right? But at some point you have to pay the piper and there's income tax on all that growth and it's all ordinary income. And if your heirs inherit that annuity, they're going to pay income tax on that, on the growth as well. Well, then maybe we say, what if the money was in equities? That gets a step up in basis. Very different tax consequences at death on that. So you, you really kind of, that's just one more example of trying to tell you the nuances of understanding what applies to you and what you might not be aware of. You might think, oh, tax deferral looks like a great thing, but you got to follow the threads to see what the future consequences are of those decisions that you make and how they're specific to you personally. Um, not always the same as, you know, what might apply to your neighbor or your cousin or your parent or whomever. It's really, really such a personal um, a, a personal endeavor in, in understanding your own financial life. I hope I gave you some examples tonight that might spur the, the juices in thinking about um, how you approach your financial decisions and understanding that being proactive gives you sem so many more options than, than being reactive. Folks, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you, Bob and Cindy. Thank you, Shandi. Thank you, listeners. Um, Sue and Bob, I really appreciate the questions. Next week, we're going to have mortgage market updates and stories to share with Stan Reinford of Movement Mortgage. Coming up next, we have Tom Druckenmiller with In the Tradition Folk Music. Remember, pay attention, be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices and have a great week. Music